Hi, welcome. My name is Vivian Brown. I am the Mom Links Manager for Moms for America. And we believe liberty begins at home with one mom at a time, teaching the love of liberty to their children so they can grow and go out into the community and flourish and share our love of liberty and protect our country and our God-given rights. Today, we're going to do something a little bit different. We, um, we have the three steps. I talk about them all the time. One, invite your friends. Two, press play. And three, discuss. And that's exactly what we're going to do today. Julene has done the hard part. She has recorded the um, presentation today, which is Ladies First. And I'm excited because it happens to be my favorite. So we're going to do that today. You're going to see how easy it is to do this, to, to do it in your own home, to lead the discussion. And um, I think you guys are going to really love this. This is a short little 20 minute video. And I'm also going to share um, a five minute um, supplemental video with this as well. So we're going to do it. We're going to do it together. And I've never done this. So we're going to see how easy it is together. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. When I pop this video on, I'm not going to be able to see the chat. So stand by. We'll, um, I'll make sure we'll go through the chat at the end and get everybody's questions. At the end of this lesson, we will do the discussion questions that you find in your college reading resource guide. And we are going to be... If you want to follow along, that's funny. Usually I open it right up to the page. All right, so page 65 in your Cottage Media Resource Manual is where we are going to start. Welcome to our third cottage meeting for Moms for America, entitled Ladies First. I am so glad to be with you. I am Jolene Jackson with Moms for America, where we believe that liberty begins at home. When mamas know and love the stories and miracles of America, her children and her grandchildren will know and revere them as well. Last time we met, we talked about how it is home where the seeds are sown. There really is no place like home to anchor our children in hope, faith, and patriotism. Today, we're going to discuss Ladies First, lesson number three. All our lessons are contained in the Cottage Meeting Resource Guide. I would highly recommend reading the lesson outline and supplemental material before you meet each time, so your heart and your mind will be ready and prepared to have an insightful and inspired discussion. I love this lesson today because I have seen firsthand the transformation of myself, my marriage, and how I have taught my children when I began to learn the principles of freedom and liberty and to understand the Constitution and how it was written to protect families and what that means for me as a mother. As I began to learn the great stories and miracles of America and the Constitution, Inevitably, I retaught them to my children, which only solidified the morals and the principles within me. You learn best when you have to give it away to teach, even if you don't feel qualified or prepared. Alex de Tocqueville, that great French writer of Democracy in America said, 
Righteous women in their circle of influence, beginning in the home, can turn the world around. The greatest teaching in the world is done by humble mamas trying to do their best, oftentimes in less than ideal circumstances. Tim Scott, a senator from South Carolina, recently shared a tender story about his mother on national TV. He said as a young boy, his mother divorced his father, so she took him and his brother back to live with her parents, his grandparents. They all had to sleep, Mama and the two boys, in one room. He was angry and churned up. It was at this time he began to notice his mother praying every night at her bedside. He said, she converted me to Christianity through her example, and it changed my life. His family, he said, went from the cotton fields to Congress in one generation because of the prayers of his mother. Mamas, when we fully understand and embrace the powerful influence we have in our homes and on our families, we begin to understand how we can heal our nation. We do it by educating ourselves first, for as the women goes, so goes the nation. Abigail Adams said, if we mean to have heroes, statesmen, and philosophers, we should have learned women. Mothers, we have a divine and essential role in God's plan for his children on this earth. We were held in reserve as the final and crowning act of the creation. God saved his best creation for last. I like to remind my three daughters of that and all women when I get a chance. Your role as a woman and a mother is vital to the human race. Adam called his companion Eve because she was the mother of all living. We bring life and love and hope and purpose and encouragement to so many. Often the work we do goes unnoticed still, but God sees us as we are not invisible to him. As we build up hearts and homes and husbands and children, it might seem like thankless work at times. You are building when no one sees, but trust that God sees. Our work will stand as a monument to God, to our posterity, to freedom and liberty. I want to recommend a wonderful five and a half minute video entitled Invisible Woman by Nicole Johnson. You can find it at our Cottage Meeting link under lesson three on our website, Moms for America. You might have to just keep your hanky close. I'm just warning you now. She tells of how her friend went to Europe and brought her back a beautiful picture book of cathedrals and inscribed inside with admiration for the greatness of what you're building when no one sees. All right, ladies, we are gonna jump over to the next uh, video really quick. It started to happen gradually. I would walk into a room and say something and no one would notice. I would say, turn the TV down, please. And nothing would happen. So I would get louder. Turn the TV down, please. Finally, I would have to go over and turn the TV down myself. 
And then I started to notice it elsewhere. My husband and I had been at a party for about three hours and I was ready to go. I looked over and he was talking to a friend from work and I walked over and he kept right on talking. He didn't even turn toward me. That's when I started to put it together. <laughs> he can't see me. <laughs> I'm invisible. I'm invisible. Then I started to notice it more and more. I would walk my son to school and his teacher would say, Jake, who's that with you? And my son would say, nobody. <laughs> Granted, he's just five, but nobody? One night a group of us gathered and we were celebrating the return of a friend from England. Janice had just taken this fabulous trip and she was going on and on about the hotel she stayed in. And I was sitting there looking around at the other women at the table. I'd put my makeup on in the car on the way there. I had on an old dress because it was the only thing clean and I had my unwashed hair pulled up in a banana clip and I was feeling pretty darn pathetic. And then Janice turned to me and she said, I brought you this. <laughs> it was a book on the great cathedrals of Europe. I didn't understand. And then I read her inscription. She wrote, with admiration for the greatness of what you are building when no one sees. You can't name the names of the people who built the great cathedrals. Over and over again, looking at these mammoth works, you scan down to find the names and it says, Builder, unknown, unknown, unknown. They completed things not knowing that anyone would notice. There's a story about one of the builders who was carving a tiny bird inside a beam that would be covered over by a roof. And someone came up to him and said, why are you spending so much time on something no one will ever see? And it's reported that the builder replied, because God sees. They trusted that God saw everything. They gave their whole lives for a work, a mammoth work they would never see finished. They showed up day after day some of these cathedrals took over a hundred years to build. That was more than one working man's lifetime, day after day. And they made personal sacrifices for no credit. Showing up at a job they would never see finished for a building their name would never be on. One writer even goes so far as to say no great cathedrals will ever be built again because so few people are willing to sacrifice to that degree. I closed the book and it was as if I heard God say, I see you. You are not invisible to me. No sacrifice is too small for me to notice. I see every cupcake baked, every sequin sewn on, and I smile over everyone. I see every tear of disappointment when things don't go the way you want them to go. But remember, you are building a great cathedral. It will not be finished in your lifetime, 
And sadly, you will never get to live there. But if you build it well, I will. At times, my invisibility has felt like an affliction to me. But it is not a disease that is erasing my life. It is the cure for the disease of self-centeredness. It is the antidote to my own pride. It's okay that they don't see. It's okay that they don't know. I don't want my son to tell the friend he's bringing home from college, you're not going to believe what my mom does. She gets up at four in the morning and she bakes pies and hand bakes a turkey and she presses all the linens. Even if I do all those things, I don't want him to say that. I want him to want to come home. And secondly, I want him to say to his friend, you're going to love it there. It's okay that they don't see. We don't work for them. We work for him. We sacrifice for him. They will never see. Not if we do it right. Not if we do it well. Let's pray that our work will stand as a monument to an even greater God. All right, let's go back to Julene. And where did you go? All right, here we go, ladies. She tells us that most of those that worked on these magnificent structures throughout history, their names are unknown. The builders aren't known. Nicole reminds us we are building great cathedrals as well. We might not finish them in our lifetime, but it's okay if not everyone sees or knows, because we don't work for them, we work for him, God. Our work will stand as a monument to God. The work with our children in our homes and in communities and for the love of God and country, those things that we do don't go unnoticed. God sees us, we are building a monument to him. Question. So how does the work that you do seem invisible at times? And how do we know that's not really the case? Let's look at some of the Bible verses and ponder on how God views us, his choice daughters, and the work that we do. In Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31, we are told, who can find a virtuous woman? Her price is far above rubies. In Psalms 127, verse 3, children are a heritage unto the Lord. In 2 Timothy 1, verses 5 through 7, Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and Eunice, his mother, the Lord says, the faith in them is the faith in you, Timothy. How does the faith of a mother and a grandmother become the faith of the child and the grandchild? And how does God view women and the raising of children? God loves his daughters. We come as close to divinity on earth as it gets. We are co-partners with God. We are life bearers and givers. We rear and nurture and train and establish within them patterns for life. Our children are his children whom he's entrusted in our care. I want to recommend a new book, Promises of the Constitution. It contains short, 
one and a half page vignettes of aspects of history. It's so good. I've read these to my kids for years in our family devotional. They break down subjects and ideas in an easy to understand way. You can find it on our Moms for America online store. And there's also a promise of the Constitution lesson manual for children and teens to facilitate learning and discussion. One of you could read and lead a discussion on this vignette, 13.6. It's on page 292 in the Promises of the Constitution. It talks about Queen Esther and how she was an example of faith and hope and charity. She had been born for a time such as this. Her people were at the crossroads. She knew she had to do something. You know, we actually named our youngest daughter after her, Esther's Hebrew name, Hadassah. Marie Hadassah is our little girl's name, because I felt so strongly as she was growing in utero in my belly that this child was going to be born for a time such as this. And I have reminded her of this often as our little Marie Hadassah is getting ready to turn 14 soon. Mama, you, your daughters, you are like Queen Esther. You have been saved to come to earth at these perilous times when America is at the crossroads. What will we do to save our family, our people, our nation? It can be as simple as what Dr. Ben Carson's mother did. Remember, we mentioned her in our last lesson, There's No Place Like Home. Instead of watching incessant TV, Mama Carson made those boys go to the library and write reports from two books they had to read each week. He said those dramatically changed his life. A whole new world opened up to him through reading and those reports. He went on to not only become a world-renowned neurosurgeon, but also write books and speak eloquently of the blessings of liberty and the greatness of America. He said, I not only saw and felt the difference my mother made in my life, but I am still living out that difference as a man. I would highly recommend, if you haven't already done so, watch his National Prayer Breakfast speech in Washington, D.C. in 2013. A book has been written about his life story and made into a movie as well called Gifted Hands, which I would recommend. Through the years, some of my kids have done book reports on school from this book, and it's also a great movie to watch with your family. In the supplemental material, there is a wonderful story that Kimberly Fletcher, the founder and president of Moms for America, tells of her ancestral home and community in Cohensville, Pennsylvania, an hour outside of Pittsburgh. The article is entitled The Gathering Place. Now, let me just pause for a moment from this article. You know, I really liked this story because during the summer of COVID 2020, my husband and children spent a lot of time down on a 50-acre family property in Ladysmith, Virginia, about an hour and a half from Washington, D.C., where we live. This land had been purchased by my husband's great-grandfather 80 years earlier. During that time in our nation's history, it was no small thing for a black man and his family to do. The ancestral home that stands there today was built on neighboring lands acquired, and through the years came barns and animals and pastures and lakes, where we have all met for years for holidays and church homecomings and special occasions. 
The ancestral home has been a humble gathering place with a tin roof and an old-fashioned lightning rod on the top still. It's where my husband's mama and all of her five siblings were born and raised and where my husband spent his summers. The house inside was renovated a few years ago. So that COVID summer, we put the kids to work outside. They painted the porches and the siding, they chopped wood, planted and weeded a huge garden. They shot guns, they fished at the pond. They took long walks on the dusty roads. We dodged snakes, we pulled out ticks. We cleared the land, we mowed acres of grass. We had country relatives come visit us and we visited them. We had gatherings and family dinners. All the kids loved spending time there that COVID summer and they felt the pride of what had been built and maintained through the years. As we swung in the hammocks under the big trees in the front yard, we talked about building up the land again, even putting animals that had once been there on it again. Hogs, cows, chickens, horses. My three girls decided though, we didn't want to kill any animals, so it would be an animal sanctuary instead. Dad and the boys, they teased us about that, but it was wonderful being there together, laughing, dreaming, and planning. That summer, we felt the great spirit of the land and the ancestors that had come before us. It helped root our children's identity and love of family and this great country where anything was possible. As Kimberly tells in her article, entitled The Gathering Place in the supplemental material for this lesson, she had an epiphany about her family's homestead and its legacy in Cohenville, Pennsylvania, one year when she took her kids to visit. When she was a young girl, she would spend every summer there. The town was named after one of her ancestors who purchased the land after the Revolutionary War. It had become a home to all of her aunts and uncles and a virtual army of cousins. The center of it was the family homestead where her great-grandparents lived and the family gathered for those special occasions. And it was affectionately called the gathering place where beautiful memories could bind the family together for generations. She tells of wonderful memories of grandma's front porch, talking for hours, Uncle George's store, Aunt Helen's house with the orchards and the fruit pies and the jams enjoyed. All the houses were full of activity and people and memories and love. Well, Kimberly married and her life took her in new directions. She would infrequently make it back to Cohenville through the years, but with her eight children, she was busy. In 2002, her family was taking a road trip through Pennsylvania. So she decided to take her children to her childhood ancestral home in town. When they pulled into town, her heart ached to see all the change. Grandma Jessie's house had been sold. Uncle George's store was now the post office. Aunt Helen's house had burnt down and now was a vacant lot. She drove her children to the cemetery where she as a young girl had walked with her grandma so many times to place fresh cut flowers on family graves. At this point, her kids were getting hungry and restless. Place after place they stopped and memory after memory she shared with them. She got the same reaction. They were hungry and tired and maybe even a little bored. Can we go now? 
Why did the kids not understand or appreciate the importance of these places and memories? She realized it was because she had not shared it with them. With an aching heart and tear-filled eyes, she drove out of town that day with regret for not sharing these stories of places and people of what had once been the perfect backdrop for a Norman Rockwell town, now was only a shell of what it had once been. Because of her neglect in sharing the stories, the memory of this place that had lived and breathed through her family for 200 years would die with her. As Kimberly pondered this experience, she thought, what else was dear to her that she hadn't shared but should? She then had an epiphany about preserving the love of America in the hearts of her children and how vital our role as a mother is in doing this. How can our future generations ever understand or embrace our history, our heritage, and legacy of liberty that is uniquely American if we don't share it with our children? Ronald Reagan said, freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. We didn't pass it to our children in the bloodstream. It must be fought for, protected, and handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it once was like in the United States where men were free. I love this quote. My mama actually had a picture of Ronald Reagan next to Jesus Christ in my childhood home, in the kitchen of all places. For eight years, I would stare at those pictures as I would eat my morning cereal. There was no doubt in my mind what was most important to my mother, God and country, faith and freedom. Question, what are ways your mother or your grandmother have shared important things with you? And how can you pass down these legacies of love and freedom and faith to your posterity? Freedom is fragile. 200 plus years ago, the battle for freedom was fought with cannons and muskets in open fields and meadows. Today, the battle will be fought with stories and love, nurturing liberty within the walls of our home. We are writing a new chapter in history, a chapter where freedom must prevail. Righteous women in their circle of influence, beginning in their home, can turn the world around. Let's review some questions for discussion now. Number one, how does the work that you do seem invisible at times? And how do we know that that is really not the case? Number two, how does God view us, his choice daughters in the work that we do? And how does the faith of a mother and a grandmother become the faith of that child? Mama, you and your daughters are like Queen Esther. You have been saved to come to earth at these perilous times when America is at the crossroads. What will you do to save your family and your people and your nation? And four, what are the ways that your mother and grandmother have shared important things with you? And how can you pass down these legacies of family and freedom and faith to your posterity? We have come to the end of our video lesson. 
May you have a fruitful and inspiring discussion on the materials presented today. If we are to heal our land, we must begin by educating ourselves first. I really want to commend you for gathering in your cottage meetings, taking the time to learn together, to share experiences, and then to go home and plant those seeds in the hearts of your loved ones. For as the woman goes, so goes the nation. Till next time, take care. All right, how did you guys enjoy that video? Yeah. All right, let's see. Let's take the questions as um, we would do if you were doing a cottage meeting in your home. And we can take the first question. Let me pull it up here. Okay. All right, let's go. How does the work uh, you do seem invisible at times? And how do, you, how do we know that it really isn't the case? Who wants to uh, join in here on that? Hi, Vivian. Hi, Gerald. It's me, Gerald. I mean, I think the, the last 20 years of my life, I feel invisible, in fact. Um, but my, my kids are older now. And um, it's interesting because I started out, um, my mom was in business and I ended up in a family business. So, so I started out very young as a um, manager of lots of employees and with lots of responsibility, you know, the, the whole thing that a woman's supposed to feel is important and makes her feel important. But God had a different plan and um, everything kind of was over the next 15, 20 years, let me just turn that off, over the next, um, my mom died, my dad died, and there was some major litigations and a lot of that, all that you know, hype and property and businesses and everything has since gone. So in the last 15 years, I had a very different life. So, it, you know, having done that, been there, and that was always important. And, the, you know, that gave me my self-esteem, that gave me my, my um, de defined who I am, et cetera, et cetera. Then for the next 15 or so, actually it's going on, my mom died almost 20 years ago. Um, with all that gone, no secretary, no employees, nobody knows who know, you know, just taking care of kids that have nothing to say, but you know, what I didn't do, and I was a lousy cook because nobody ever taught me how to cook. And I wasn't the great, my mom was a businesswoman, so I never really knew how to be a mom either for that matter. So for the next 15 or 20 years, it was a rude awakening. And it was like, I was always looking for something to, to give me attention again, you know. So, and oddly enough, my two sisters continued in business and et cetera for very different reasons and went on to have the, you know, the glamour and the money and the name and all that stuff, esteem. And, and that made me even look worse because like <laughs> Cheryl's going nowhere. Oh yeah, what are you doing today? Well, I did the dishes, I cleaned the house, you know, what did I do today? Um, but I always um, worked on, you know, and I, I kind of feel my kids now, they think, oh mom, you were selfish. Um, but I have to say that uh, I feel a lot more 
of who I really am now and, and coming to these meetings and, and um, I'm working on guess, little projects, tiny little things, nothing big, you know, getting into a school and trying to teach them values and just small little things. Wrote a little play about family and when, when they were asking like, what are you leaving for your children? I wrote about four or five plays about my, you know, my mom's life, my dad's life, my kid's life, you know, all these, because I'm a writer, and but nothing ever, you know, again, nothing ever came of that. So it's like invisible. Nobody knows that, you know, nothing. Um, but as I'm looking, I'm saying that these are the more important things, you know, all those other things were a distraction. And now I'm trying to learn from, from here. And I was even like, I'm trying to like start a little uh, uh, devotional that Jolene was talking. She's been talking. I've been listening to this for like nine months about these beautiful devotionals she's doing, and all my kids are out of the house. But I would really love to do a devote. You know, some little things. I, I sometimes write them letters because um, I love to write. Um, but they, they go on like a couple of page letters and it takes me forever. So I'm going to stop there. I'm simply going to say that um, for the last 15 years, I've been the invisible woman. and But I've learned so much about what's really important in life and want to go in this direction and take um, continue to be invisible, but do more with family. And I have my granddaughter coming in two days. <laughs> my being born, she's due to be born in two days. She might come sooner, she might come later. Um, but I want to start new with her and, and try all these, <laughs> practice all this stuff that I'm learning from Moms of America on her and hopefully infiltrate into my children a little bit more as well. So um, thanks for letting me share and thank you for this beautiful, beautiful, wonderful program. I, 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 I like miss it so much if I have to miss one of these meetings. So I'm going to let go and let somebody else share. <laughs> Gerald, thank you so much. I, I love that invisible story because I think we all feel that way sometimes. And, you know, you do clean the house and you do everything and nobody pays attention. But then your your husband or your child comes home and maybe they clean something and then you like have to throw a parade for them. Right. Because they like they took the trash out and, you know, but moms, we just do our thing and, and silent and just do it and make it happen. And I think it is the, the best thing because you're doing all these things for your family and they don't have to worry about it. And you may not think at the time that they're paying attention or they're listening to you as you try to teach them. But as your kids get older and you start hearing them give the advice that you've given them to their friends, you realize I wasn't really invisible. They were, they were hearing me. So does anybody else? Anybody? Come on, ladies. Go ahead, Yvette. So I, I kind of resonate with that. When I was in the corporate world, I really kind of felt invisible to my family, you know, because I was important at work. But then when I came home, you know, I, I didn't see that because I was so busy cleaning the house and doing the dishes and cooking. But God stopped me. We were at, and, and it's when I realized that your path in life, sometimes you seem invisible, but you're not really. When we were at a small group meeting and the adults were in one room and the children were in the other. And the woman who was hosting came into the kitchen and just pulled me aside and she said, I've just got to tell you. 
And so this story is about what your children do when you're not watching, when no adults are watching. She had told the kids to not go into a certain bedroom. And she kind of stayed outside the door knowing kids are kids <laughs> to see if they would not go in the bedroom. And um, they started talking and Katie was about six and they all started talking and Katie's voice was above them all. No, Mrs. Amy said, do not go in that room. And if you leave to go in that room, I'm going to go downstairs and let the adults know. And so she, Amy walked in and she said, you know what? I just want to say, this is a God moment here for you children to learn about because you wanted to disobey me, but God was watching and Katie was watching and steered you right. And then she came downstairs and, you know, from that day forward, I really didn't see myself as invisible anymore because I started to notice my son a lot more saying the things that I had taught him to say. And now with my own grandchild, I watched my daughter-in-law and my son. She didn't grow up with a mom at home, and he did. And he has taught her the things that I did at home. So I just stay out of the picture, but it, it fills my heart with so much gladness when I go visit them and I watch Casey. And I know that's something that I used to do and my son's taught her, but I don't even say anything. I like being invisible and just having her get the the gratitude from me that way. So I'm helping her to not be invisible, if that makes sense, because I'm I'm being filled with grace at her home. Um, so anyway, I think I look at life a little bit different than I did in my 30s and my 50s now, but I'm definitely not invisible now because my community is calling <laughs> all the time. <laughs> So the Moms for America really helped um, kind of propel that forward. And I do love these meetings and love the discussions. Yvette, thank you so much. I, I know we, we appreciate that because I think we do all feel a little bit invisible sometimes. All right, let's, should we go to the next question? Yeah, okay. All right. How does God view us, his choice daughters in the work? that we do? How does the faith of a mother, grandmother become the faith of the child? Vivian, it's Gloria. Who is it? It's Gloria. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to find you, Gloria, so I can bring you up. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. I'm not on video, but um, anyway. um, So yesterday we had parent-teacher conferences, and we got to talk, I got to talking about uh, my youngest, Ethan. And, uh, you know, we, we do family devotions here in the house and we try to armor up our kids before they leave. And sometimes we don't make it in the morning, but we'll try to fit it sometime, uh, maybe in the evening or whatnot. But um, the teacher said, um, as, as we were closing our meeting, is he says he is a spiritual little guy, you know, that he understands and he hears him. Um, you know, sharing his faith with, with others. And um, so that just uh, warmed my heart that, you know, um, you know, he's, he's receiving the word, he's receiving the word. And because ultimately for us as, a, as, a, as believers, that is the, the ultimate of, of what I need to teach my kids. Um, so anyway, that's what I would say is, and, and well, for all, for all the teachers that I spoke with yesterday for both of my sons is that, you know, uh, what we 
the, the morals that we try to teach our kids, you know, to respect and, and use manners. And, um, and that was something that was a, a common, um, you know, feedback to me as a parent is the behavior of my children. So that's what I just wanted to say. Thank you, Gloria. It's beautiful to hear that. It's nice when people compliment us on our children's behavior, isn't it? All right, who's next? Anybody? Hi, uh, this is Nicole Hughes. Um, I'm a new member. Um, Hi, Nicole, welcome. Thank you. I just wanted to share uh, in regards to the last question about the faith of the grandmothers becoming the faith of the children and um, share a little bit about my story um, in that regard because it was definitely my grandmother and I really never got to share this with her. So if I get a little emotional, I apologize. Um, she was uh, raised on a farm in uh, Southeast Kansas. And that's where most of my family came from. And they had what they like to call a very private faith and that they um, never really were big church goers, but they were very faithful people um, just because it was hard to get to church and everything else back then. Um, she ended up having six children, five boys and one girl, my mom. And um, that kind of private faith continued um, even though they moved to the city and, and moved a bunch of places and whatever. And so, yeah, my mom was not a big church goer. You know, we were creasters at best. Um, on a good year, we were creasters. Um, but when we did move back into the same town as my grandmother, um, I, you know, when we'd go visit her and stuff and, you know, I would, you know, we'd go over sometimes for Sunday dinner and she would say, you know, she'd gone to church that morning and whatever. And um, I was very curious. And so I asked her if I could go to church with her once and just seeing her modeling that, even though she just went by herself, she, her husband did not go, um, you know, and she just went by herself. And that was just very important to her to go to church. And just that, even that little exposure um, really led me to start developing my faith. And um, now I can definitely say we're um, far from creasters. In fact, we, um, my family helped found a church um, in a, um, a, a town that we lived in because we saw that need. And I think um, to go from that, where my family was, you know, had that private faith to um, founding a church <laughs> um, and that's definitely something that my children even say to this day, I have four children, that that's one of their, the proudest things in their lives, even though their lives are very young still. Um, my oldest is just now 20, but um, is the fact that they, you know, helped found a church and that faith has become so much a part of our lives. Um, and not just, you know, we do have our personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but also that we've, you know, come to understand in our family the importance of that uh, community of Christian believers and um, being a part of that and then even going beyond that and sharing your faith uh, with others. So 
I just thought, um, to me, that's, you know, the, the faith of our grandparents and, and following through, it, it's, it's very true. And, um, you know, even though we don't always immediately see it in our children, <laughs> and they're going to have their times, which they should, where they're, they're questioning and they're seeking, um, I think it, um, that, you know, raising them up in the faith, it, you know, it will serve them and they will come back to it when um, they need to. So um, I just wanted to share that. Nicole, thank you so much. Um, I know you're touching um, the hearts of a lot of the moms that are here today. And, you know, the beauty of these cottage meetings is being able to share and we get emotional and, and we lift each other up. And because we do, you know, going back to feeling invisible. And I think when we meet weekly um, together, it's just such a beautiful bodied experience to know that we're not alone. And through small and simple means, we're, we're changing, we're changing, you know, our children and our country. And again, when you don't, um, you don't think they're listening to you, but they are. And so we just have to keep dropping those little seeds, right? And then eventually they're going to blossom. And if ladies that have the younger kids and you haven't hit those teenage years yet, brace yourself because you are, your kids are going to, you're going to be like, what? But you know what? Around 19, 19 and a half, they're going to come back around and you're going to be brilliant again. So Hang in there for those young moms. I promise it, it turns around after those teenage years, but um, a lot of prayer, I think, will get you through those. Um, does anybody else want to share that, or should we go to the next question? Vivian, I can share. Um, Is that you, two, Tammy? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. I have two older daughters. One's 26, one's 22. And then I have three bonus children um, that I acquired when my second husband got married and I got married about five years ago. Um, at the time we met, they were seven, um, 10 and 11. Now they are 18, 16 and 15. Um, and so I'm helping my husband through the teenage years and it's quite difficult. Um, but I do let him know that, you know, um, and, and when we got together, my youngest was uh, 15 going on 22. Anywho, now she's at that point. Um, but we've had lots of discussions about kiddos between 15 and 25 and that they don't necessarily like their parents. Um, but now, you know, to see the 26-year-old married and um, starting her own family and and, you know, coming back to us quite often and asking us for, for encouragement or help with how do I do this or what do I do about that? It's, it is whatever you do with them when we're young. And when, you, when you do don't necessarily like in their teenage years, um, being strong as a parent, it definitely helps out later on in life because then they start to notice, mom, well, I understand why you did this. And mom, now I, I get why you did that. Um, so I, I encourage you moms, hang in there, um, be strong. And, and whatever values you establish in your house, 
Do not let go of those. Thank you, you so much, Tammy. Rewards down the road. And Tammy, you've been with us for a while now. You've done You're the welcome. Healing of America. And I know that you've shared in the past about how this has helped your relationship with your mother. Do you want to talk about that for a minute? Will you share that? Yeah. Um, there was a time about four or five years ago when my dad passed away and our family kind of divided um, because he was gone. Um, but through all of this, I've encouraged my mom to join Moms for America and it has brought her and I together completely. We are able to talk about things um, outside of our family <laughs> and this connects us completely because then we can go back and we can talk about excuse me, her mom and the values that her mom placed in both of us. Um, there was a time when my mom was a single mom with me. And so my grandmother did a lot of my raising when I was little. And so um, she worked a lot when my mom was little. So my mom didn't have a whole lot of relationship with her. Um, but when I bring up stories now about what mama did when I was little, it helps her through things that she was dealing with with her mom. So, um, there are values that each one of us passed down generation to generation, and it is meant for a reason. So, I encourage you guys to continue to talk to your children, grandchildren, and, and continue to. No matter what you think that they're not hearing you, they are hearing you. <laughs> and it will show in their actions later, I promise. Tammy, thank you so much. I know your story touches so many of us. And I think for a lot of us, we have a similar experience with somewhere in our family, perhaps. And you know, these are a beautiful way to try to heal our family and to give, um, to give grace. Sometimes we need to give a little more grace to people, you know, I think. All right. Um, thank you. Thank you so much, Tammy. All right. Anybody else want to share? Anybody? No. All right. Last question. And we need a volunteer for this one. So. If you don't raise your hand, I'm going to call on you like the teacher since Jolene's made me the teacher today. All right. Um, what are your what are ways your mother, grandmother have shared important things with you? And how can you pass down those legacies of family freedom and faith to your posterity? OK, um, I know my mom and I have not always had the best relationship, but there's a lot of things that we do not agree upon. Uh, but I have found the best way for us to connect and especially where we've passed down, uh, she's passed down a lot of the family stories to me is um, working on projects together, whether it be, um, you know, 
cleaning out a closet or helping when I was helping her pack up to move or you know, just doing projects together because you want to have something to talk about to, you know, other than what you're going through. But sometimes even the stuff that you're working on can prompt a conversation um, in regards to that. So I know for me and my mom, like I said, we definitely have things that we do not connect on. Um, but, you know, when we're ever we're working on a, a project together, uh, we can, you know, start a, it might jog her memory about um, uh, a family story or something, and we'll, we'll talk about that. So uh, that's to me, uh, and what I try to also do with my kids is we'll, we'll do projects together, and then we'll talk about things while we're doing the projects, because I think um, or on ca long car rides too have been our other big thing. And we always jokingly, like I said, my oldest is only 20. Um, and uh, we've always joked with our kids uh, that when they're finally allowed to start dating, <laughs> that um, if they think they're serious about somebody, that they need to go on a road trip with them. Uh, <laughs> on those road trips, those long road trips where you have to talk to each other, um, but even things about like figuring out what music you're going to listen to or where you're going to stop and the places you're going to stop to eat, all those little kinds of relationship things can come out um, on those long road trips. But I know for personally for my husband and I especially, but also for my, my family, uh, long family road trips have been uh, just a great way for passing on family stories and traditions and stuff. And we've definitely had some of our best conversations both with each other and our kids on those long road trips because I, I don't know maybe it's because one of you is driving and can't make direct eye contact that you don't feel like you're under the gun so to speak but you can you know talk about some of those um, more difficult topics um, while you're on those trips because you're yeah you know, not making that direct eye contact it's not as, as threatening a situation so to speak um uh with your kids but also with your spouse you know how you have that time to think about things and and really you know discuss things at length without interruption in most cases so uh projects and road trips are, are a great way to pass along those family traditions and oral stories especially Thank you, Nicole. You remind me, um, my youngest is 14 and my family, my grandparents are of that generation where they documented everything. So like on the back of our photos, my grandmother would write like three generations of this is the grandmother, the child, you know, I don't know if any of your moms did that, but my grandmother's and they put a book together of my uh, my maternal grandfather's side. So it's a beautiful book. It's about this hardcover. And it every family member is in that book. I mean, married. I mean, just all of those. And my youngest just loves to go through those. And there's cool pictures that they've put in. And we decided to do Ancestry.com. And that was fantastic. We would see pictures because all of the children had those books, right? So they each had copies of those pictures. So as we would go and search, we would find those pictures that were in our book. And it was like, oh my gosh, this is cool. And it was a great experience to share. And my grandmother came from um, Syria and Lebanon. 
And we've been able to trace back um, five generations in America and four generations back into Syria. And it's a really cool thing. And it's a great project to do with your kids. Um, One of the pictures my grandmother had, it's like my uncle Eli and his kids. And then it has baby unknown because, you know, they didn't know who that was. And through research, my daughter was able to identify who that baby unknown was. And it just sparks a lot of conversation. It's a lot of fun. So I would really recommend going that. And that's a great way to share um, your family's history and where you've come from and where you're, where you're at and where you're going. So um, ancestry or the, putting those books together is a beautiful way to um, share the story of your family. So, um, Gerald, you got... Just quickly, just quickly, um, I wanted to just, because you start, you hit on something. Um, I found also that when we, uh, I was doing um, like birthday videos for my kids and in it, I would put, uh, I, well, when my mom was alive, when when the grandparents were alive, I asked them to say something to them at this birthday. So now that they're not here, they have the, um, you know, they have what the, their grandparents and great grandparents uh, wanted to tell them. so I, I think now that we have video, we have these cameras. I mean, we could we could take pictures and we could, uh, you know, put together little videos of um, as you know as they're going along that they could look back at and 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 share. Especially if you still have, you know, parents and grandparents that are alive, um, this is a nice time to include them, so they can actually remember them. Um, so uh, thank and thank you. Um, um, for having shared, uh, you know, about the road trips. <laughs> That's a great, great idea. <laughs> vacations. My, we, we talk a lot on vacations because we're together. It's the only time we're all together because my kids are out of the house. So uh, vacations seem to be time to talk. But thanks for letting me. Uh, I don't want to hog up because <laughs> I already spoke before. Gerald, that's such a good point, what you're saying. I heard one lady um talk about she set up an email account for her young baby when they were born. So she would do that. She would like send emails and letters and birthdays and all of this stuff. So when this child gets older, they're going to have all these emails and letters and pictures and videos to go back on. And I thought, man, that's like a really cool idea, right? I mean, you can save everything there in some email. So I know I didn't do it, but I think that would be kind of cool for somebody to do that. All right, Christy, do you want to try again? Okay. Yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yes. We got okay, you. great. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so bad with technology. So I was trying to get into you and I was just like flicking buttons and everything. Anyway, real quickly, because I know we're running out of time. Um, I just wanted to share briefly. I'm not on video. I'm just on audio today. Um the the story that you asked about sharing with parents and grandparents has um, really resonated with me. My story is I have four children. They range in age from 24 to 18. So I'm on the older end. Um, but my mom passed away in 2012, but I was blessed to be the trustee of my parents' estate. And so I talked with my mom, of course, about her faith. She was very strong in her faith and raised us as Christians growing up. It was really wonderful. Uh, And that was super great. But what I found is really interesting going through all of her papers. She had stacks and stacks. She kept tons of things. And she 
served at our church for years and years and years pretty quietly and just going through her things as I was needing to go through things and deciding what to purge and what to keep. Um, God is really good because he, um, sorry, he helped me um, know her in a new way just after she was gone to heaven. And it's really neat to kind of look through some of her things, see her faithfulness and all the time that she served and she kept a lot of notes. And so a lot of the communication turned out to be not really uh, specifically directly from her to me, but you know, it was through the things that she kept and left behind. And God is really good. I just want to encourage some of you guys sometimes, even if a family member isn't here any longer, there's growth and there are, um, there's uh, relationship building things that you can do even when the person has gone to heaven. And I really appreciate that because of course, like all of us, there were times where I thought, oh, my mom didn't understand me or blah, 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 whatever. And now being a parent and going farther into my journey through that, um, it's really neat to look back and kind of realize probably how she felt a lot of times that I didn't understand because I was too young and immature and stupid to figure it out. And um, it's really a blessing. So God is good. He can still bring that and do that. All the things that you're talking here about relationship and about family and about protecting our values and about bringing God into your family and leaving those legacies for people and all of the subjects here that Moms for America is, you know, really strong on are really important. They're vital. And that just really makes me think about, you know, what am I leaving for my kids? What have I done? And we've homeschooled our kids all the way through and given them a great Christian education. And we, you know, we pray that God will, um, we've planted seeds and that he'll continue to water them. Um, but I just wanted to share that if it, for anybody who's, um, struggled with relationships with parents or whatever. It's super wonderful sometimes that God can just bring those relations to that, that relationship to fruition in a different way, maybe than that you would, you would plan. So that's it. Um, I know we're running out of time. So thanks very much. Christine. Thank you. Um, it is wonderful to go back through all of those documents and papers and things what our relatives have left behind my husband always um, tells me I'm a hoarder and I don't need to keep these things. But you know what? I do. I ca- I've carried a trunk with me for, you know, 30 years, practically 35 years that have things in there that I want to pass on to my daughter that most people would just call junk, right? But that's the history we're in the posterity that we're going to leave behind for my for our kids. So save those things. They're precious memories, especially when you're gone, you know, to your children to leave that behind. That's really so important. Oh, can you hear me, Vivian? Yes. <laughs> okay, great. Yeah, my mom's been gone for many, many years. But what I really appreciate when we were growing up, uh, my dad had been in World War II. So my parents were very involved in the local VFW. And they always took us to parades and um, all kind of patriotic events. And I, that really made such an impact on me and, you know, what I, how I raised my children. But there was one thing in particular I was thinking about at listening to the group is one year um, I was young, I was probably like in middle school, and my mom went through such a hard time with her family. Um, first, they lost a very good family friend then her brother died. And then within months, her, her father died. And it was so difficult. And, you know, I know she was questioning God and 
you know, why did, why did this happen to us, that type of thing. But, you know, she never stopped taking us to church. She kind of uh, shied back from saying the prayers. I knew she was mad, but she never let that stop her. And that was a big influence on me thinking, you know what, stuff happens and you got to just put on a brave face and keep going because your kids are watching. And that's where they learn how to keep on going. And I'll never, you know, I'll never forget that. And I always appreciate that she taught us those good lessons. Thank you, Donna, for sharing that. That's, that's awesome. Well, we'll call it here today, ladies. I hope that um, everybody's learned just how easy it is to lead these cottage meetings. And I know some of us are a little bit um, shy or timid and not quite ready to share. But I think as you progress through these, you'll realize how these lessons become longer and longer because we do open up and, and we start sharing what's in our heart and there's power there. And we, you know, as women, we are here and we lift each other up. So I want to thank all of you for joining us today. Mm-hmm.